Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to Psychic Teachers. Happy Mother's Day to all moms celebrating today. I hope you all had a great day. I told my kids I just want to do nothing. A day of nothing. No schoolwork, no complaining, no whining, certainly no cooking. And that's what I got. We were to take out, watch movies. I had time to read a new book my kids got me. And I finally started watching season three of Stranger Things. I've been delaying it as long as possible because they take so long between seasons. Anyway, it was a heavenly day of relaxation, and I hope you guys had the same. Speaking of Mother's Day, I also wanted to let you know that I've added a novena bracelet to my website in honor of Mother Mary. It's made of a series of nine angelite beads and comes with a card that teaches you how to use the bracelet to say a novena. Not only does angelite look like the color we most associate Mother Mary with, that beautiful sky blue, but it's also a great stone to work with for enhancing prayers and your connection to the angelic realm. Angelite is also called a stone of telepathy because it works as a sender and receiver, helping you to both transmit and receive spiritual guidance and healing. It's a stone of peace and aids in the facilitation of serenity while also raising the vibration of the collective conscious. In fact, it was first discovered in 1989 during the Harmonic Convergence. It's believed that angelite was discovered at this time to help introduce more love and light into the world. So please check out this beautiful new bracelet when you get a chance on my website. Okay, in this week's episode, I'm going to be sharing with you stories about writers who seem to have been able to predict the future. Have you ever said something or predicted something or dreamt about a situation that actually came to pass? If so, this means you might have the ability of precognition. This is when we're able to see or sense events in the future accurately before they happen. This concept of precognition has always fascinated me because it kind of implies that a lot of life is faded. Well, I believe so strongly in free will. When I do readings, I often say to people, this is what I see as a likely outcome, but many different factors can change that. Still, when I watch life play out, it makes me feel that some things in life just may in fact be faded. This all reminds me of that old legend or story that's often told about a woman who visits a psychic. The psychic tells her she's going to have a car accident on a certain date. So on that date, the woman stays home all day. She refuses to leave the house, trying to avoid this car accident. And then, out of nowhere, a car comes careening into her house, and the woman is indeed involved in a car accident. So it's a story you might have heard because it's often told as an example of how you can't escape your fate. Still, I prefer to believe that most of our life is our free will. For example, years ago, a woman came to my office for a reading. 
She wanted to know what was going on with her love life. And her grandmother came through and showed me that my client was dating a married man. The client confirmed this was true. She said, yeah, I know he won't leave her, but I don't want to be alone and I'm just desperate to find my true love. The grandmother showed me that the client would meet her true love when she broke up with this married man, moved for a job to a new city. A year later, the client came back to see me. She had broken up with the married man, but was still single. I asked her if she'd ever considered looking for that new job and moving to the city as her grandmother had predicted. My client said no. I remember she was like, yeah, I was offered a job in Dallas, but I just started dating a new guy in town and I wanted to see where that would go. And then she sighed and said, I guess you and my grandmother were wrong. I politely reminded her that the grandmother had shown me a move to a new city and then the true love coming in. Now, this story always made me wonder, had this woman changed her fate by not taking the job in Dallas? Is this an example of free will overriding fate? I don't know, possibly. Now, the night of my former husband's shooting felt very much like fate to me. First of all, that whole summer, I had recurring dreams of someone being shot in the neck. The night he went in, I had a bad feeling and kept asking him to take the night off. He refused, saying that his whole platoon was out training, so he had to go in. When the call came in that a man had shot at a bail bondswoman, had escaped, and was spotted in our city, Mike took the call, even knowing there would not be instant backup. And when he spotted the criminal, Mike tased him. The guy shot Mike in the neck, exactly like my dream. But here's where it gets weird. An ambulance was called out to that exact location minutes before the shooting. It turned out to be a false call. When they arrived, there was no one there who had made a call for an ambulance. Meanwhile, the criminal is standing over Mike with the gun to Mike's forehead. Now Mike's already down and bleeding out, and still this guy is trying to kill him. But the gun jammed again and again and again. Backup arrived just at this moment, and the ambulance was right there. The doctor told me that if Mike hadn't been picked up by that ambulance at that exact moment, he would have died. The paramedic on scene said he felt it was a miracle they had gotten called out there and just happened to be on scene moments after the shooting. When Mike was in the OR, he needed two blood transfusions. The nurse told me that weirdly the exact blood type they needed was piled up in that OR room. She said it was normal for one transfusion, but for the second one, someone would have had to go downstairs to get more. She said those precious moments running down to get more blood would have cost Mike his life. Another weird thing is that the exact thoracic surgeon they needed for Mike's particular operation was on call that night. He'd already gotten called in for an earlier operation and was just on his way home when the call came in that Mike was on the way in the ambulance. That doctor, too, said if he'd been home and had to travel back into the hospital, Mike wouldn't have fared as well. And then there's the other nurse who told my older sister that she clearly heard the voice of Archangel Michael telling her to place her hand on Mike's forehead when he was coding. When she did, they got a pulse again. This woman told my sister she'd been trained as a healer and had worked with Archangel Michael most of her adult life. What are the odds that she'd be in that OR room? Now, long-time listeners will remember the story I've often told of how Mike announced one night to his family when he was nine years old that he wanted to be a police officer. Later that night, he awoke and saw Archangel Michael standing in his bedroom. He thanked Mike for his decision and promised to watch over him. I was thinking about that that awful night sitting in the ICU waiting room. 
I was holding the Archangel Michael medallion necklace that I'd gotten blessed and given to Mike years before. He always wore it under his uniform. But that night, as I was holding it in my hands, it was covered in his blood. And I was raging at Archangel Michael, screaming in my head, Where were you tonight? I was so angry. And then my sister walked in, right after I was raging to Archangel Michael, and told me that story that the nurse had just told her about hearing Archangel Michael's voice. So that night and the events surrounding it have always made me feel that for whatever reason I can't comprehend, that terrible event was fated to occur. But are all things fate? I don't think so. I believe strongly in the law of free will. I believe that God had to give us the gift of free will. Otherwise, our creator might as well have invented robots to worship him or her. No, I think God gave us free will so that we could come to our creator with love on our own accord. Still, some things must be fated, as we're going to discuss in tonight's show. When I was pregnant with Olivia, my oldest daughter, my due date was May 12th, Mother's Day. I was so excited. I really wanted to have a child on Mother's Day. But in the last week of April, I had a really vivid dream where three women rang my doorbell. In the dream, I was making a birthday cake. I invited the three women in and instantly recognized them as angels, even though they didn't have wings. I don't know, I just somehow knew they were angels. The oldest of the three women held both my hands, and she looked into my eyes and said, We've come to tell you that Olivia is arriving exactly one week early. We wanted to let you know so you wouldn't worry. Everything's going to be fine. She's just arriving a little early. Sure enough, I gave birth on May 5th, exactly one week early. So was that fated? Or did I subconsciously make that happen because of the dream? I don't know. I think this universe is like a beautiful dance. And in order for us to lead a happy, fulfilling spiritual life, we have to join that dance. Sometimes we lead meaning free will is in charge, and sometimes we have to surrender and allow ourselves to be led. And that's when fate takes over. Many of the recent news stories have made me ponder this even more. Maybe you guys also saw the viral story that occurred when Kim Kardashian posted a picture from Sylvia Brown's book, End of Days. It's a book about events and things Sylvia Brown predicts will happen in the future. And in it, Sylvia Brown wrote, In around 2020, a severe pneumonia-like illness will spread throughout the globe, attacking the lungs and the bronchial tubes and all known treatments. Almost more baffling than the illness will be the fact that it will suddenly vanish as quickly as it arrived, attack again 10 years later, and then vanish completely. Let's hope she's right about this virus vanishing suddenly and completely. But how weird that she would get the exact year right. And then there's the strange story going around of the novelist Dean Kuntz, who apparently predicted at least the place where this virus would originate. In his 1981 novel, The Eyes of Darkness, he wrote about a virus called Wuhan 400 that would emerge from a biological lab in Wuhan, China. All of this made me think about stories I've read and written about where authors have seemingly predicted the future. So as you listen to these stories, think about the concept of precognition and fate, and let me know what you think. Our first story begins with the father of the detective story, Edgar Allan Poe. He wrote about a murder even identifying the victim's name 46 years before it happened. Now before I tell this story, it does involve some gruesome details, so if you don't enjoy hearing things like that, just fast forward a couple of minutes. In 1837, Edgar Allan Poe wrote his first and only full-length novel, The Narrative of Author Gordon Pym of Nantucket. 
This gruesome story is about a young boy named Arthur Gordon Pym who stows away in a whaling ship in search of adventure. One part of the novel tells how the ship sank and the crew had to survive off turtle meat. When that ran out, they pulled straws to see who would be killed and cannibalized so the rest of the crew could survive. A young cabin boy named Richard Parker pulled the smallest straw and his short life ended. Forty-six years later, a ship named the Mignonette left Southampton, England for Sydney, Australia. The ship sank and the crew initially survived off turtle meat. When that food ran out, the crew, starving and near death, decided to draw straws to see who would be killed and cannibalized so the remaining crew could live. The young cabin boy on that ship pulled the short straw and was soon cannibalized. His name? You guessed it, Richard Parker. Could this be a coincidence? I mean, a fictional ship and an actual ship sinking and resorting to cannibalism, that could be a coincidence. But two crews deciding to cannibalize one member, and that one member having the exact same first and last name as the fictionalized story, that's a bit more than chance. Did Edgar Allan Poe have a premonition of the event almost 50 years before it happened? Is Edgar Allan Poe psychic? Had that time information been somehow downloaded to him from the future? Before we dive into our next story about a writer who definitely saw some amazing things when he wrote about a ship called the Titan, let's take a quick break to mention our sponsor. This week, we are sponsored by Audible, the world's leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible is doing so much to help us get through this quarantine time. As communities around the world confront new challenges, including social distancing and school closures, everyone is looking for ways to reduce stress and stay entertained. Audible believes stories help. They entertain, teach, and help keep our minds active, alert, and engaged. So they've come up with some pretty cool ways for all of us to feel connected. While schools are out, Audible is open. They launched a special website where anyone, anywhere can stream hundreds of titles completely free, no strings attached, by going to stories.audible.com. Their hope is that stories.audible will offer everyone, especially parents, educators, and caregivers looking to keep young minds engaged as daily routines are disrupted, a screen-free experience to look forward to each day. You don't need to be an Audible member to access these free stories. Little ones can listen to Winnie the Pooh, Stone Soup, or Anna Green Gables. For teens, there's a great young adult audiobook called The Bone Witch, about a teen from a family of witches who discovers her powers of resurrection. Plus, all the classics are on there, and tons of fantastic fables, myths, and fairy tales, and it's all free. To access these free audiobooks and titles, you can simply visit stories.audible.com from your computer, tablet, or smartphone. The experience is completely ad-free. No need to download an app, sign up, or log in. You just click, stream, and listen. They've also expanded the Audible Originals monthly offerings for Audible members. Members can now download all of the Audible Originals selections rather than having to access two of them each month. This week I'm recommending something fun and inspiring. It's called Rabbit, the autobiography of Miss Pat. She is a wonderful comedian. If you guys haven't heard of her, please check her out. I've seen her live. She's awesome. 
Her story makes for a sad but also hilariously funny and ultimately inspiring story. You'll hear in her own words how she overcame poverty, becoming a new mom in high school, jail, and career as a drug dealer to become one of our country's most beloved comics. So if you want to help support our show and get the best in spoken word content, education, and entertainment, please visit audible.com psychic, or you can text the word psychic to 500-500. That's audible.com psychic, or text the word psychic to 500-500. Thanks so much for supporting our sponsors. Welcome back. So let's look at Morgan Robertson's book called Futility, which he wrote in 1898. The similarities between the great ship he writes about and the Titanic are incredible to consider. Morgan Robertson wrote a fictionalized account about a ship named the Titan, which sank under almost identical circumstances to the Titanic, 14 years before it happened. Both the fictional Titan and the very real Titanic were made of steel with three propellers and two masts. Both departed from Southampton, England. The fictional Titan and the real Titanic both carried 3,000 passengers. The Titan weighed 46,328 tons and was 800 feet long. The Titanic weighed 45,000 tons and was 882 feet long. Both were hailed as the largest passenger ship, and both were called unsinkable. However, they also shared the same flaw. Neither carried enough lifeboats. Robertson's Titan and the real Titanic were traveling the same exact speed when they each struck an iceberg. In the fictional Titan and the very real Titanic, they were both 400 miles from Newfoundland, near midnight in the month of April. How could Robertson have known? How could he have gotten so many details correct? I mean, okay, so you're writing a book about a ship that sinks. You're making it the biggest ship in the world. So maybe he could have guesstimated the weight and the length of the ship. And if you want to write a disaster story and you want to make sure that there are victims, okay, maybe it makes sense to say the boat doesn't have enough lifeboats. But how do you come up with a name so similar, Titan and Titanic? How do you come up with both ship hitting an iceberg and the details of 400 miles from Newfoundland when they hit the iceberg and the time near midnight in the month of April. I mean, could he have had a dream about this event? Was he an unwitting time traveler? Could he have time slipped and seen a vision of the future without meaning to or even being aware of it? Many believe something similar happened to Charles Dickens. One of his stories was so close to the truth he was sued for plagiarism. In 1861, Dickens wrote a ghost story about a young painter on a train who meets a pale young lady. She asks him if he could paint someone's portrait from memory. The artist says he thinks he could, and the young woman then replies in the story, Then look at me again. You may have to take a likeness of me. The painter leaves the train feeling a bit odd about the encounter, but he soon thinks nothing of it. Until two years later, when a grieving father comes to his studio and asks him to paint a portrait of his deceased daughter based on his descriptions. The artist agrees, but after several failed attempts, he's about to give up when he remembers the strange young woman on the train. The artist quickly sketches her, and the grieving father lights up, explaining, That's her! That's her! You got her just right! As the artist paints the portrait, he asks the father when the young woman died. 
The father tells him she passed away two years ago on September 13, the exact day the painter met the young lady on the train. Now, shortly after this story was published, Dickens receives an angry letter from a portrait artist who claimed the story had actually happened to him and was not a work of fiction. The angry artist had written down the entire story and was getting it ready for publication when he read Dickens' story. The artist claimed Charles Dickens even stole the exact date of the incident, September 13th. And here's where it gets weird, because you might be thinking, All right, well, if this artist had this really weird thing happen to him, he probably told a ton of people. And maybe down at the pub, Charles Dickens heard it or overheard it without even meaning to and wrote it thinking he had come up with it. But even though the artist had told the story to several friends, he had never told anyone the date, September 13th. And this is what most troubles Dickens. When he wrote the story, it had no date. But his editor said, hey, you need to put in a date because that little cliched ending needs more validity. So Dickens hastily added in September 13th, he never gave it a thought. How could he have guessed the exact date that this had happened to this artist? When the artist swears he never told anybody that detail. Did Dickens unknowingly plagiarize this story through a psychic premonition? Or is it just another coincidence? Stories like these aren't uncommon. Olaf Stapleton wrote a story called Last and First Man in 1930, which describes Italy being overrun by a dictator named Mussolini who was defeated in war and later lynched by an angry mob. It also describes a European Union being formed after the war and America and China becoming the two greatest superpowers of the world. Verne is often called the father of science fiction. He predicted so many situations and discoveries that later came to fruition, like hydrogen as a fuel source and space travel. All of this in the late 1800s. Tom Clancy wrote about a 9-11 type attack in his 1994 novel, Debt of Honor. And then, of course, there's George Orwell, who published 1984 in 1949, where he spoke of all that high-tech surveillance and Big Brother stuff constantly watching with cameras on almost every public building and street now. A lot of us feel this is coming true. An author named Gary Steingart wrote a novel called The Super Sad True Love Story that talks about dating services, digital threats, and paper books going away in favor of e-readers. H.G. Wells, who wrote about time travel, as we all know, he also wrote about wireless communication and men like gods, and that was published in 1923. Wells also predicted audiobooks, television, and airplanes. John Bruner wrote futuristic books in the 1960s about gay marriage, legalizing marijuana, global terrorism, a European Union. Even the name of the U.S. president he chose is very similar. He named his fictional U.S. president Obami. I mean, that's pretty darn similar. What are the odds with some of these stories, you know? Were they all able to see the future? Or were they just good guessers of what would soon come to pass? A lot of people use Orwell's 1984 novel as an example of, you know, these authors aren't predicting the future, they're just guesstimating what's going to happen if governments continue the way they are. So did Orwell really see the future when he wrote about Big Brother watching when we feel sometimes with all the cameras everywhere that Big Brother is watching? Or was he just accurately figuring out where all of this was going to head towards? And I think you can make that argument in some of the stories, but in the ones I chose for tonight's episode, I don't know. I mean, how could Edgar Allan Poe get the exact name of the victim on that ship and that he'd be the cabin boy? How could Titan, the story about the ship Titan, 
that Robertson wrote, how could he get so many details right? The date, the iceberg, the number of passengers, everything right down to the exact detail. And same with the date with the Charles Dickens story. Time is an invented concept. If you imagine time as the Mississippi River, you'll agree that the water beginning in Minnesota is not the same as the water that empties into the Gulf of Mexico, yet it is still part of one river. If we could rise above the river, we'd see from our aerial view all of the Mississippi River. Perhaps the writers featured here were able to do this, to rise above the constraints of time and see the past, present, and future as one. I mean, Morgan Robertson described the Titanic over a decade before it was built. Charles Dickens wrote a ghost story that later came true. Edgar Allan Poe described a murder decades before it happened. In each of these stories, the authors wrote about events in specific details years before they occurred. Was Edgar Allan Poe a time traveler? Could Charles Dickens have been psychic? How did Robinson know an iceberg would sink a great ship 14 years before the Titanic was even conceived of? Did these authors have premonitions about the future? The answers to these questions still elude us. But the mysterious questions these tales leave behind remind us that we live in a truly supernatural world. Many writers have described going into a meditative trance-like state when they write. Most authors have experienced a time slip type of phenomenon where they think they've written for about an hour, but when they look at the clock, they realize they've actually been writing for hours and hours. Or maybe, just maybe, some writers have learned how to glimpse the future. Well, that's it for this week's show. Deb and I will be back soon with our monthly Q&A and our book club discussion. Don't forget, if you want to join in on the discussion as you listen along, the book we're discussing this month is called The Way of the Rose, The Radical Path of the Divine Feminine Hidden in the Rosary by Clark Strand and Perdita Finn. And guess what? You can even listen to it on Audible. Also, there's still time to sign up for the Be Your Own Psychic webinar, which is meeting May 14th, 21st, and 28th. You can find all the details at samanthafay.com and just click on the webinars tab. Have a great week, everyone. We will be back with you soon. In the meantime, be the light for yourself and others.